Well, I'm sure things have been happening in your lives um, with friends of yours and in the family. Maybe you heard what happened at Mark next door to Mark's with the suicide of, was he 53, Mark? And a man who was looking after his mother. Leaving mother who's in her 70s, I believe. So the Lord set Mark next to that house, Mark and Jana next to that house, I'm sure. Yeah, about five or six weeks ago, we were, my wife and I, we've been several times up to Wincanton to have uh, some meetings with a little group up there. And one of the in the household in which we had the meetings, uh, we we knew the couple from France when, because they lived in France and moved to Wincanton six months ago, and um, amazingly, I think we had a meeting five weeks ago, and uh, in their home, he was due a doctor's appointment next day just to check up, and. He was told that he was filled with cancer in all parts of his body. And he passed away last weekend. And then we had another friend in Malaysia, who a uh, couple that we know very, very well. And I had a text from his wife. Paul's very ill with cancer, just been discovered. Then I had another text six hours later. Paul is with the Lord. Both of these men are younger than me. (laughs) So it makes you think about uh, what is happening. And uh, the days in which we live uh, are searching days. And it's wonderful to be God's people in the midst of a very, very confused world. Very confused. Now, we're going to come into 1 Corinthians, would you believe, um, a little. And uh, I don't know if you're aware what... um, What forced Paul to write the letter? Uh, Are you aware that um, chapter 1, he does refer to what had happened to make him write. It was necessary for him to write to them. And so in chapter 1, you'll find that uh, there is... There are things that are mentioned to him. In verse 10, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together. In the same mind 
and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, and so he goes on. Just to point out to you in passing, that in God's church, no gossip. You probably know quite uh, the verses in Matthew 18, one of the occasions where the Lord Jesus mentions the church where he talks about divisions between people. If there are, if a brother has something against another brother, you remember that? Or you could say sister against a sister. He says three things in distinct order. First, the brother go to brother. See if they can come to an understanding face to face. If that's unsuccessful, then take two witnesses. Take two witnesses. If that's unsuccessful, take it to the church. And so the Lord Jesus said those things face to face first. So, no hidden talk. Generally speaking, in my experience in the church, it's been the other way around. Number three has been number one. You, you get me? Number three has been number one. Now you notice, Paul says quite clearly who he has got the news from. About, there's no gossip here. He names the lady and those of her household. He had got news. He's right out front. So this isn't gossip. He has got some clear understanding that has come to him. And because he is the man through whom, if you turn over into chapter 4, you'll find that he declares in chapter 4 that he has, uh, verse 14, chapter 4, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Father, Father of the church there. There are other places in this epistle and the second epistle where he alludes to the right to speak with authority to the condition of the church. 
that he had fathered and he had been their apostle. Peter had not been their apostle. Uh, John had not been their apostle. Apollos had not been their apostle. And so he's right out in the open. And it was the immaturity of the congregation in Corinth that necessitated that he write to them. We've got two letters. It's possible there's at least two others that we haven't got. So he was in a correspondence with them that is very distinct. In a way, we ought to thank God. So, 1 Corinthians is an epistle for babes who should have grown up. And in a way, we should say, thank you, Lord. Here's instruction. Thank you, Lord, that the church there didn't grow up as it should have done. Thank you, Lord. And if you go back into chapter 3, or perhaps, I, brethren, verse 1, could not speak to you as unto spirituals, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal? Are you not carnal? And behaving like my version says, mere men, mere human beings. Remarkable, isn't it? So, in one sense you say, thank you Lord for the epistle. Thank you for the clarity of Paul. Thank you that it became necessary. But First Corinthians is a letter for babes. Babes about life in Christ, church life together. Um, there was probably, you know, there was this man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer just prior to the Second World War in the 30s, one of those men. Um, he was a Lutheran pastor who discerned what was taking place with Hitler. And he, he had a number of Bible colleges, which little Bible schools for men, where they lived together. And one of his little tiny books is called Life Together. 
It's the men, these young men, these young Lutheran pastors um, met together as a community of God's people and Bonhoeffer was closed down. They gradually pushed them into oblivion in one sense. But, you know, the, the, the epistle is, a, is for babes. And I want to encourage you to recognize that. And it will make you realize, if you really go through this letter, how far, in certain respects, I had a conversation this morning with someone at the meeting where I was at, and an elderly gentleman was saying to me quite, quite stridently, in fact, he was saying to me, I hadn't had a conversation with him for a long, long while, two or three years. He was saying to me, isn't it good what's happening? God is sifting the church to get rid of some of the things that we've allowed in. Practices that we've allowed in as we come together. Now, you know that when this letter opens in chapter 1, so if you go there to chapter 1, Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. It's good to go slow when you read like this. Um, I remarked last week that one of the problems in the churches is the possessiveness that comes into the hearts of leaders. Ownership of the church. Ownership of the church. It's a real battleground. And right away Paul specifically says what he is. I'm an apostle. Where did your apostleship come from, Paul? It came from God. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. In another place, in this letter, uh, and in the second letter, he's going to say something as blunt as this. I didn't choose this. I didn't choose this. Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. He's a man under command. He's a man with a calling, a particular calling. And if I may throw this out to you, there is one calling. But there are many callings. But there's only one calling. I'll touch on it a a bit in a minute. But there are many callings. 
through which that one calling that is common to us all. Did you know that there is one calling, one hope of your calling? Did you know that we all are called with a hope? Do you know what it is? Do you know what the holy calling is? And yet, there are many callings. Some are, in this letter he's going to talk about some of the callings. Callings to be a teacher, to be a prophet, to, to be an apostle, to be an evangelist. He's, he's going to mention some of those callings. to be In Romans he's going to mention to be a helper, to be a leader, to be a guide. He's going to mention various callings in the church. In fact, you know, one of the problems nowadays, I think, is a a sense of the loss of the sense of vocation. You know, calling. We assume there's at least one doctor in the room that it's a vocation. It's a calling. Maybe there's some teachers here. And to know that's a calling. It's, they're callings. But uh, we're, we're all called with one calling. But Paul says that it's the will of God. And it's the church of God. And if I threw this out to you, I'd do it with you carefully. But you will find that Paul begins with God. Wherever you see in the New Testament the word God, usually, unless expressly spoken, it refers to God the Father. God the Father. That's why Paul says, I'm the apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. If you were to go through these first two chapters carefully, and perhaps you can do this at your leisure, but just see how he begins. God, it's the church of God. It's the church of God. It's God. God, God. It wasn't Jesus who called you. It was God who called you. Is that right? When you get further down in the letter, does it say something there? But God, verse 27, has chosen. Verse 27 again. God has chosen. Verse 28, God has chosen. Verse 30, of him, that is God, you are in Christ Jesus. Of God, you are God, God. I sound very Calvinistic. 
and it's very, very good. Maybe next week or the week after, I might sound Arminian. If you don't know what those things mean, there's an example of division. There's an example of division in the church. Paul is coming from underneath. He's coming from a place of understanding. He's coming from a place where he's not toying with doctrines. He's not in the dimension of explanation. There is, most churches seem to manage to hiccup along with explanation. Doctrinal explanation. There is very little revelation. Revelation comes from underneath. Revelation partakes. I could not speak to you as those who were spiritual, but as to babes. That's what we just read. You see, this is one of the reasons for suffering, by the way. Um, Early on in the life of the young ones, it's all zeal, it's all going ahead, it's all, let's do it, let's do it. And then life begins to be brought to bear and difficulties come and We used to sing a hymn, one of the Wesleys, that has a line like this, or two lines. Through fire and water bring into the wealthy place. Through fire and water bring into the wealthy place. That's how you get into the wealthy place. The place that's underneath. The place that has understanding. That's where Paul is coming from. That's where he's coming from. The place that's underneath is this. He describes the place of understanding. In chapter 1 here, If you look down, it says this, I thank my God, verse 4, always concerning you for the grace of God. You keep seeing the word God, that's the Father. The grace of God which was given you through Jesus Christ. That you were enriched in everything by him. In all utterance and knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. So that you come behind in no gift. 
eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Um, The revelation of our Lord, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Amen? You know there's going to be a revelation of another Lord before the revelation of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Did you know that? There's going to be a revelation of a Lord that is known as the Antichrist. It's going to be revealed. But our Lord, he's going to come. The revelation of our Lord might come in the lifetimes of some who are younger here. It might even come in our lifetimes, those of us who are older. Yes, the revelation. You come behind in no gift. They must have had a marvellous beginning in this Corinthian church, mustn't they? Come behind in no gift. Waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I don't know if in your beginnings... In your beginnings, you had at least some of the gifts. Because many many haven't. Have they? Am I right? Many haven't had. Some they have had few gifts. You see. I mean, he's going to mention some of the gifts later on in this letter. And their proper use. Necessary for a rich life of the church. He's going to mention some of them. Only some of them. He mentions nine in particular. But there are more than nine. Um, but he, he says, when, when you began, you came behind in no gift. You see, we've got to be hungry for all that God has for us. Hungry. I went through a time where I was hungry for the gift of healing. And I sought the Lord much about healing. But uh, I came to peace about it when the Lord showed me, no Bernard, that's not for you. You have other gifts. Deepen in those. Deepen in those. You know, the Corinthian church, having said The negatives, just earlier, I want to say the positives, you see. They started so well. They didn't just have hymn singing or bands of music as it is nowadays. They they didn't have a minister 
who did everything on a Sunday morning and a church secretary. They had the ministry of Jesus Christ coming through all kinds of ways because that's what the gifts of the Spirit are supposed to be. They are simply ways in which Jesus manifests his life. Spontaneously, freely, richly, deepeningly. And when the church in Corinth began, it began like that. You waiting, your eyes were set on Jesus Christ. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you were waiting for the coming of revelation. You come behind in no gift. And apparently they were enriched by him in all utterance and all knowledge. Must have been quite wonderful that there was a, a liberty as in, in utterance. Have you got liberty in utterance? So that... Um, Like I said last week, your ears hear your mouth saying truth, testifying truth. Amen. There are steps in that. You must never expect a 25-year-old who ministers the word To minister the word like a 75-year-old who's walked with God. That doesn't invalidate the 25-year-old. Not at all. But, amen, you're getting the picture. You know, you come behind in no gift. That's what he says so clearly, doesn't he? You You come short in no gift. And... You're enriched. I mean, I love these. Um, Sometimes when I read the scripture, I just kind of savor the words. Enriched by him. That's what he says. Enriched in everything by him. I want to be enriched by him. In all things. And you must remember that is you, everyone. Not many wise, not many noble, not many experts. Can you tell me what would have to happen to the noble to really live in the kingdom of God? Do you know what must happen? to those that are professors and expertise, you know, have expertise, then they have to become as nothing. (laughs) I was very fortunate when I was young. My mother was a Baptist and my father was in what's called a brethren assembly. 
And being, I was the oldest child, and I had to go to both these churches. And uh, my mother and father didn't see eye to eye. Uh, My dear mum was very strong-minded, but uh, she went off to the to the Baptist church and of course there one man did everything he wore a gown and he had several uh, letters after his name and he was actually I, you know he was good and then I went along to the rather mean brethren assembly and uh, it was a little bit of a revelation to me as a young man, as a boy first and growing up, because I knew that man who spoke and expounded a scripture for 15 minutes, he was an electrician. And then he was followed by a man who was a farmer who opened his mouth and seemed to love the Bible and understand uh, truth. And he followed and spoke for a while. And then another man got up and he carried on. And I happened to know he was very wealthy and had several companies. He was a businessman. And yet here they all were, utterly equal sharing not one above another and this really spoke to me as a a boy I I saw a contrast I knew that these men it wasn't that that they were not trained scholars but I knew that they were diligent some of them had books in their houses (laughs) you know and actually read books and were seekers after truth. You know, that sort of thing speaks to you when you're young. And then when I came to 16 or 17 years old, I knew that I was free to, would you believe, if I felt God had put a little verse on my heart, I could stand up and read that verse out. And then say something, would you believe? And I wouldn't be sat down. In fact, they would be glad. They would be glad. But in that particular church, there were no gifts of the Spirit in this respect that Paul is talking about. So in in that sense, neither of those churches were enriched with all that they could have been enriched with. Neither of them. And when I think, uh, when I was in seminary up in Scotland, many, many years ago, I would go to a, 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 a church that was called the Tron. St. George's Tron. And there was this very famous preacher who would preach there. And it was so rich. His ministry was so rich. To hear him, 
exposit week by week. And uh, it's wonderful. You know, God has so many riches for us. He's got riches for you, for me, for his church. You know, to hear him pray, it was wonderful. He, he would pray for the country. He'd pray for the leaders. He'd pray for the sick. He'd really bring riches of prayer. You know, there was prayer of thanksgiving and there was prayer of worship and there was prayer of intercession. It was all sort of divided up into bits, you know. But even that, though it was coming just through one man, there was a richness. And I've spent my life, especially the last, well, through the years, but especially the last 25 or 26 years, eight months of a year overseas in different countries, going into charismatic churches and Anglican churches and all kinds of churches and preaching and do you know, I've hardly heard any riches. I hear another 50 minutes of songs. No prayer. No reading of scripture. I, I go into a charismatic church. I could count on one hand the tongues and the interpretations that I've ever heard in a whole year or prophecies that really stir these are riches brothers and sisters these are riches means by which the Lord wants to communicate his love his gospel his presence his substance and at the beginning the Corinthian church were endowed with all these tongues included, gift of tongues included, they were endowed and then somehow they'd squandered the riches. The church is meant to be a bountiful place. A bountiful place. If you were to follow through in, with these thoughts, do you know that the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you? The testimony of Christ, is that what it says there? It says that the testimony of Christ is Jesus poor. What has he accrued in his wealth. What, what did he gather. To give. Do you understand what I'm saying. What was he rich in. These things. The, the riches. And this is how the testimony of Christ. Is confirmed in you. Wow. Christ was in that meeting. 
he spoke a little bit, she spoke a little bit, they spoke a little bit, but it was Christ. And somehow the Corinthian church had somehow let it go. They'd let it go. They'd become preoccupied with persons. And if you follow down here, it is lovely the way Paul writes. And he says this in verse 8. He's so commendatory, isn't he? Before he's going to talk negatives. Oh, you are so blessed, you Corinthians. Look at it. He's going to He's going to confirm you to the end, verse 8. He's going to confirm you to the end. That you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to confirm you to the end. He's going to finish it. There's a young lady this morning who was prayed for, who's beginning uh, her university course and the Lord has been moving on that young woman in the little church down the road and uh, the brother who led the prayers he had this verse on his heart he who began a good work in you will finish it will you let him now that's my words coming on the brother didn't say will you let him you know, but you know that you you got to let him. you got to let him. There's more for every one of us here. There's more. There's more. There's more for you. And he who began a good work, he'll finish it. And you know the Corinthians, you, you know what they'd brought been brought into by the Holy Spirit, by God the Father, through God the Son, by the power of the Spirit, in their beginnings, they'd been brought into verse 9. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ our Lord Amen Amen I, I hadn't thought of this before this moment but flashing before my mind as I read those words was what happened Back in 1966, when I passed into the things of God's Spirit. Oh, Jesus was so real. I was brought into the fellowship by God. Into the fellowship of His Son. Fellowship of His Son. You know, isn't that wonderful? You know what fellowship means, don't you? Fellowship. Communion. Sharing. Sharing. 
sharing, partaking, 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 knowing him, intimacy, developing friendship, his presence with you, in you, around you. You, you Corinthians, in your beginnings, you were Jesus conscious. You were Jesus conscious. You were brought, God brought you into that participation with Jesus. Hallelujah. Do do you know what chapter 10 is about in this letter? Do you know what chapter 11 is about in this letter? Let me throw this out to you. Do you know what chapter 12 is about? It's about gifts, isn't it? And ministries. But before you'll get to all that, and chapter 14, that's all about gathering together. But before he gets to all that, he will say to them, look to your fellowship, the communion. Don't sit down at the table of devils, he's going to say in chapter 10. In chapter 11, he's going to say, you know you're the body of Christ. When you take the communion, when you take the communion, You're saying something. Don't deny it. You see, in in a certain way, everything that Paul is writing is going to peak in chapters 10 and 11. And what's 13 about? (laughs) Yes. See, that's what you fellowship fellowship God called you into fellowship with his son he called you come come into fellowship with my son come and share his life come and share his mind come and share his vivacity come and share his joy come and come and share come and share his love come and share chords oh you corinthians where have you gone christ's been eclipsed in your lives you, even the ministers have eclipsed Christ. Even uh, you've allowed me to eclipse you. It's almost as some of you are saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. You know, your own pride has eclipsed Christ. Hubris, hubris, hubris. Do you know in the Greek pantheon, I don't know if you're aware what goes with hubris. Do you know what goes with hubris? Hubris is a word for for arrogance and pride, isn't it? 
And the Corinthians were definitely arrogant and proud. They had hubris. Do you know what goes with hubris? Nemesis. Hubris inevitably leads to to nemesis. Destruction. Being crushed. Being crushed. You see, this is all their pride. They were puffed up. Puffed up. It's eclipsing this fellowship. Someone in the way. Someone eclipsing Christ. Cored into that. You know, it is a very, very wonderful thing, the calling, the calling, the calling. You see your calling, brethren, don't you? Um, you know, in Ephesians chapter 1, let's, let's just go there a moment. Sorry, Ephesians chapter 4. These are very important words about the church Um, I I think it's really very very good to take notice chapter 4 flows on from chapter 3 chapter 3 finishes with the fullness right it's all about the fullness being filled, verse 19, with all the fullness of God. Back to the same thought about wealth, about riches, about coming behind in no gift, and about coming into the fullness of God. And then Paul Carrying on praying, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. God has more for you. Every one of you in the room. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly. Don't be afraid of the gifts God wants to give you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know that this virus is exposing a false bravado on the, in the place in the face of some people. Others, terrible fear that's making them angry. Terrible fear. You see. Yet life is a gift. Every day is a gift. You know that. Especially for us who are the Lord. Every, every day is a school day in the school of Christ. Every day is an opportunity to, to be meek and quiet. You know, to demonstrate. You know, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. According to the power that works in us. 
You know the Corinthians, and I'll get to it in weeks to come. But they turn from the power of Christ to the power of self. That's why people get burned out. I have a friend and uh, and sister, his wife, wrote a book about burnout. It's published. And once I talked to him and his wife when he's, they've served the Lord for many years overseas. He's the dean of a Bible college where sometimes I've lectured. And I sat with them one day and I said, you do, you do know that God's people don't burn out when they live by, by the power of Christ. But if you substitute your own power and your own energy and you drive to do the work and you drive to do the work and you drive to preach the gospel to every creature and you drive then you'll burn out the brother he understood what I was saying yes I understand I've seen it I've seen it in my family that's what he said to me hmm you see According to the power that works in us. The Corinthians, when that hubris rose in their hearts and this attitude of pride eclipsed Christ in them, then the Christ, the power and the wisdom of God ceased to be the, the quickening life of their church. quickening life Christ and this is one of the reasons why rest and quietness and and taking care of your own garden is so important for those who are in leadership got to take care of their own garden look after their own soul Not selfishly, but be there with Christ at the table. Because the church is not sustained by the power of the Bible or codes and doctrines that are gleaned from the Bible or command texts that say we must go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The churches are not sustained by letters in a book. The church is sustained by fellowship with Christ, which means fellowship with his power. Did you not remember in chapter 1 of the Corinthian letter, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, the power. 
That's how the church lives. That's how I live. That's where vitality comes from. That's where the water that I shall give you will be in you. A well of water springing up unto everlasting life. That's now. That's now. That's now. You see, God so loved the world that he gave his son. Amen. We know the verse so well. And whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Just feed on that God so loved the world I'll give them my son. And he so loved those he calls that he says, I so love you, I'll give you my spirit to be your empowerment. That's why you must seek God until you are sure that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Dear Oswald Chambers, He realized he wasn't filled. Did you know that? He was a preacher and he wasn't filled. And he came to an understanding that he wasn't filled. He was a sought after holiness preacher. And then he went after God. And that verse that was so real to Oswald Chambers that if a son asks a father for a, a loaf, is it? Will he give him a stone? How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? And Chambers took that verse. Oh, Father, I know that I need your Spirit. I know I can preach. I know I'm doing this. But I ask for your Spirit. And then he believed that the Father gave to him. And he felt no different, he said. Felt no different. And then gradually, he said, he knew a new dynamic. A new quickening in his mind and his understanding that was far, far deeper than the electric intellect that that man had because he did he was brilliant but he knew it was deeper knew it was the spirit Amen Amen God will be waited upon for these things from us and if you know that you have the spirit Are you eating at the Christ's table, the table of which he is the head? Because that's where the Corinthians have drifted from. They've gone away from it. They were carnal. Their immaturity had come to Paul's ears from the household of Chloe. They were schismatic. 
They were arguing. They were envious. And another place we will find they weren't in the riches of the gifts. They were, most of them they'd neglected one they'd made a heap of attention of. Tongues, tongues, tongues. Is that right? You can find that. All this moved Paul to write to them. He said, let's, let's, let's sort these things out, Paul. Let's sort these things out. He knew he had. And you see, when I read these things, I think, oh, the power that works in us. And verse 21, chapter 3, Ephesians, it leads to what? Leads to what? Glory in the church. Glory in the church glory and then Paul says you know glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations Amen I stand here because I heard glory in the voice of certain men and women as they prayed and as they preached I heard glory in their voices 60 years 55 years ago 60 I saw and heard in that brethren assembly men who knew God. I think of George Duncan who I used to listen to in the Tron and I was on a plane to Belfast with him. He was going to preach in Belfast and uh, he knew God. Glory. Glory. And that's unforgettable. And then there was glory in our little meetings. And you can't go back there. But you carry the glory. And you long for the glory. Glory in the church unto the generations. That's what I'm getting at. You see, this is why I grieve over young people who are not reading good missionary books from a hundred years ago. They're not reading. I encourage one young man. I said, I'll give you the, the, the journal of George Fox. Have you read George Fox? Have you ever heard of George Fox? He said, no, never heard of him. And I said, I'll, I'll give you his journal. I've got a spare copy. And you read his journal, and yes, there are unusual things in it. Yes, but he was a man who was filled with the glory. And you're touching that eternal life. It's unto the generations. Glory in the church, unto the generations. And others have got to pick it up. They've got to drink of that same spirit. 
They've got to know that same life. This is how the church continues. This is why we must not go back to things that, well, you know, doesn't matter. Some of us have been through it. We look back and we see our failure. And we know it was because of pride. Because of pride. Pride of grace. We were very blessed. And if you're not careful, it comes as a veil across you and you eclipse Christ. And you're no longer in the simplicities of the fellowship. God has called you. God is faithful. Who's called you into the fellowship of his son. We had some time of rich blessing in one place. And I can remember being aware that there were some warriors of prayer in our fellowship. Elderly people who were there before God in their house. Sometimes I would drive home from a meeting very late at night and I would drive past the the house of this old lady in the church who was an Anglican minister's wife. She'd been widowed many years. She was very well-bred, lived in Budley Salterton, the last bastion of the British Empire. And, uh, but she, she was a dear, dear lady. But boy, I knew what she was doing because I'd drive past her house and I'd see the light on. And I knew she was a prayer warrior. And she was praying for us. Praying for us, you see. Unto the generation. She'd, she'd been through decades as an Anglican minister's wife. And then she'd passed into the spirit later on in her life. And she had glory. <laughs> In all the most well-bred accent she would pray. (laughs) You know, wonderful. But you see, I hope what I'm trying to say, unto the generations. Am I making sense? Unto the generations. And then Paul chapter 4, he says this. I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, the prisoner of the Lord, amen. There's a self-designation for you. (laughs) Now don't just interpret it, he's in a Roman jail. He's much deeper than that. See, you mustn't be a prisoner of the fellowship. You know, preaching to please them. Got to be a prisoner of the Lord. You see, you've got to be like that. And that's the kind of person I want to listen to. I haven't thought about George Duncan for years and years. And I, he comes to my mind tonight and I think I'm on that plane prisoner of the Lord it kind of it came out of him and others 
You know. Praise God. You know we need prisoners of the Lord nowadays who are going to talk the truth. Really talk the truth. Instead of adapting and adjusting and temporizing and diluting I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Where have you been called? You've been called into the fellowship. If you live in the fellowship, what will you become? Because there's only one calling that we all participate on. What is it that God has called us to? That's the thing. Walk worthy of the calling wherewith you have been called. Amen? What is it? He's going to go on down here. He's going to say, with all lowliness and gentleness with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Think of the Corinthians. They were denying the unity. No wonder they were in shreds. Endeavoring. How how can you keep the unity of the Spirit with all lowliness? With gentleness. With long suffering. Long suffering. Bearing with one another in love. That's how... Paul says, endeavouring, endeavouring to keep. You can't keep the unity of the Spirit by pride. You Corinthians, by arguing with one another, by being arrogant about your particular gift or your particular this or your particular that. It'll deny the fellowship. You'll dry up in your hearts. The vitality comes from Christ. That's where the wisdom comes from. That's where the power comes from. You'll wear yourselves out. And so he called, keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Then he defines in seven particulars what the unity of the Spirit is. This is the unity into which you were called. Man, woman, there's no boys and girls here, but all of us, we were called into this unity. Seven parts of the unity. He defines it. This is the unity into which which you were called. Corinthians, there's one body. Not a Paul section of the body and a Cephas section of the body. These are the things, brothers and sisters, that are weakening the church and causing there to be a drainage of power and a disappearance of wisdom. These are the things. 
you see. We think they're a separate, there's only one body. And it's not Pope's body. Or anybody's body. It's whose body? We've got to discern it. Whose body is it? Christ's body. And there's only one spirit in that body. That's the next thing he mentions, isn't it? One spirit, not twenty spirits. My spirit is in the body. But my spirit is only alive as I am a prisoner of the Lord who is the one spirit of the body. The one spirit in the body of Christ is the spirit of Christ. Just as the body is Christ's, so the spirit of that body is Christ's spirit. Yes, imparted in the Holy Ghost to your spirit. That's why you must let your soul and all your powers come under the authority of the spirit of Christ who's made alive your spirit so that your spirit is in the fellowship of Christ so that you're not living from your soul and your feelings, and your this is and that's. You understand? This is, there's one body, and there's one spirit. And you know what the next one is. There's one calling. You were called in one hope of your calling. Oh, Corinthians, you've drifted far from this. You're a bunch of babies. You were enriched at the beginning so much. And now where have you gone, oh church? Where have you gone? There's only one hope of your calling. And you say, well, well, what is it? What is it? You're called in one hope of your calling. I'll take you to a verse and I'd better stop. I promised I'd only be an hour tonight, but it's so, you know, and I've been more longer than that already. But let me take you to Romans 8. And, uh, you know, just to finish off this thought, from which the dear Corinthians had drifted. Oh, you know these, this wonderful Romans 8. You know, I hope you don't live in Romans 7. (laughs) If you want to know very simply, (laughs) just look through Romans 7. And see the problem of the person in Romans 7. You can find it very, very easily by the fact that in Romans 7, a little word of one letter fills the pages. 
That's the problem of the man in Romans 7. Or the woman in Romans 7. Little word of one letter fills the pages. And the answer? The answer? If you want to, you could do it this way. A little letter, a little word of one letter, and accompanied with a little word of two letters. I, 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 me, me, me. That's Romans 7. And back into that you will slip. If you don't live in the fellowship into which you're called. And keep the one hope of your calling. There's a, there's a hope. There's a hope. There's a hope. There's a hope. Romans 8. Romans 8. It's not I and me and I and me and I and me. It is Christ and Spirit. Christ and Spirit. That's where you've been called, Corinthians. Come on, Corinthians. Come back to to where you were. Where that great beginning you had. Come on in. Come on in. Amen. And Paul writes this lovely Romans 8, doesn't he? And he gets to this and um, in chapter 8. And he, he, he says this. Oh, oh, we've got the first fruits of the Spirit. Verse 23. We've got the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan. Within ourselves, you know, I'm I'm speaking to you now, perhaps for too long, but you know, I'm groaning. You know, every preacher groans. Did you know that? Every real preacher, he's groaning. What's he groaning for? Oh, Father, please open everybody's eyes. Help me to see. Help us to see the riches that you've got for us, for the church. Help us to see you. You groan. You groan for perfection. You groan for fulfillment. You groan. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we long for people to grow up. Can't you see with Paul writing to the Corinthians? He's groaning for them. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, I saw you come out of your sexual sin and your thises and your thats. I saw Christ come to you and fill you and flood you. Where are you gone? Where are you gone? And he's groaning for them. Amen. And we who have the first fruit, something wrong with you if you're not groaning. I mean it. I'm not saying you go around with a face as long as a kite and you're about the most miserable devil on earth. I'm not talking like that. You know, I, but you've got that. Oh, Father, there's something in me that longs, 
longs. Oh, that longs for the outpouring of the Spirit. Oh, that longs for church. Oh, Lord Jesus, let your church understand more. Let her be strengthened for what's to come, you know. And <laughs> dear Paul, and he says this, we groan, we're eagerly waiting for the adoption the redemption of our body for we were saved in this hope but hope that is seen is not hope for why does one still hope for what he sees but if we hope for what we do not see we eagerly wait for it with perseverance do you know we are hoping for the adoption hope of our calling do you know what God says to me Bernard you're one of my sons now be it now grow up into it grow up into it you're you're one of my sons and he says it to you no daughters only sons The ladies are sons. In the scripture, it's the sons who inherit. And all ladies are sons. Because we all have the right of inheritance. But when do we inherit the riches of which we commented? The full riches that are to come. The one hope of our calling. You know that that in... In those old days, Paul's thinking in the Romans uh, idea. Do you know that uh, a man had a son? And his son was born, baby, baby, baby. Let's call him Baby Augustus. And he's, he's been born and the father wants him to inherit all the estate. And the boy grows up. And then he goes into the school. Comes under the teaching of the pedagogue. You know. He's led by the pedagogue. You know. Into the school. And he learns the ways of the father. And then one day. When. The spirit, the, I'm going ahead of myself, but when, when the time is right, the father has this incredible celebration. And he calls everybody together. He says, I, I want to present to you my son. My son. I adopt him publicly. This is Augustus, my son. He knows my heart. He knows my ways. He knows he's been taught by my servant. And you know, one day, this is our hope. That one day, this is my hope. This should be your hope. That one day, 
the Father is going to present before his angels and before all the marvelous creatures. Look at my sons, all in the image of my son. Look at them. Oh, talk, they all know my mind. They all, oh, you Corinthians, you've forgotten the hope. Don't you see your calling? Don't you see your calling? Why, you Corinthians, you're still babies. You're not growing up through the ups and the downs and the, the difficulties, you know, that, you know, there's a teacher I've given you called the Holy Spirit. They'll teach you. And the hope of the calling. And, you know, you might think this awful, strange. I hope you don't. But verse 26 you know, likewise the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Don't you feel that sometimes? Oh, what are you doing with me, Lord? Oh, what is this groaning? And there's a Spirit. The Spirit within me is making intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered now he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to God cross out the words according to the will of says it's he makes intercession for the saints according to God. You know, sometimes that, that it's the Spirit's groaning in you. Oh, bring her through this. Oh, Father, bring her through this. Oh, bring her through it. Bring her through it. Bring him through it. Bring them through it into the wealthy place. Through fire and water bring into the wealthy place. Bring them through to where they grow up into sonship. Bring them through their divisiveness. Bring them through their uh, doctrinal argumentation where they're rejecting some of the riches. Oh, bring them through. Bring them through. The Spirit is in us, in the church, groaning according to God. Making intercession according to God. Amen. Amen. And it says here, it's all so plain, isn't it? He says, verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are the called according to his purpose. We've all got the same calling. You Corinthians, you've all got the same calling. What are you boasting over? I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. Don't you realize they're all yours? Everything is yours. All things are yours. All things are yours. I gave a book this morning to a young lady called A Day in the Life of Ivan uh, Ivan how do you pronounce his name? 
Denisovich. Say again. Denisovich. Written by a man, a Russian man named uh, Solzhenitsyn. She'd never heard of him. He was a Russian in the gulags. You know, a man who grew up through all things a gulag for years. A gulag. In that time he came to God. He became an outstanding writer. Finally got out of Russia with his wife and in the United States and Joe, the la- almost the last public speech he gave, he was a Christian and he was warning the students and warning the American nation of the liberal subtleties of communism that were coming in by the back door. And uh, do you know what the students, I think it was Yale, he was lecturing. They laughed at him. I bet some of them are not laughing now. You see. You see. But he went through the all things. You know, all things work together for good to those that are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew he also predestined. You might not like the word predestined, but I like it. Here's your destiny, brother, sister. Your destiny that God has decreed for you is that you will be like Jesus, that you are already like Jesus. He has chosen your destiny now. Become who you are. Through all things. Quit your grumbling and complaining through the virus. Tis a minor thing to that which is to come. And uh, whom he foreknew, he predestined, conformed, not to be conformed, cross the to be out, that's not there in the Greek. He predestined, conformed, to the image of his and you may wonder why the struggle goes on in your heart sometimes it is because you must be who you are you must be who you are that's the spirit help dear Corinthians all this is at the back of Paul's mind as he's writing to them and he's thinking oh you Corinthians can't you see your calling can't you see your calling Why squabble? Why squabble? Why fight? Amen. Amen. Amen, church. Hallelujah. You know, where do I begin, you say? Well, you begin. Don't wait for her. Don't wait for him. Don't wait for them. Don't wait for them. Yourself. Just, you know, that's where it begins. If any man or woman open the door, the church is blind, stupid, dumb, you know, Jesus outside the door. How does reformation and revival begin? If any man, one, open the door. 
That's it. That's where we've got to be. Amen. Amen. Thank you for letting me go on. <laughs> and I hope it's of profit and not too long for some of you. Amen. Let's pray. Let's, let's talk to him. You, you talk to him if you want to. Just, oh, hallelujah. I invited last week that if anyone does want us to just gather around you and pray, or pray for our sister, pray for our brother, pray for one another, that we shall be all that you want us to be, dear, dear Father. You're so wonderful, Lord. You've really planned and purposed exceeding abundant above all that we could ask I think it really is quite beyond us Lord thank you Father thank you thank you for everyone thank you for all our brothers and sisters scattered around in this area Thank you. Let the spirit of revelation, let your spirit that draws, draw people into the quiet place before your face. I'm sure Paul was praying, Father, that as he sent a letter, oh Lord, that they would be drawn they would hear dear father